Jewish audio on Kaban.org. Okay, we are now recording the Shabbos class, the seventh portion of Kiseitze, and of course it's being recorded on Friday. The portion of Kiseitze has many, many different mitzvahs, depending upon which mitzvah count we follow. Uh, as many as 74 of the 613 mitzvahs are in this portion. This portion, the seventh portion of Kiseitze, is an especially long portion, and it encompasses, encapsulates within it many different mitzvahs. So we'll try and go a little bit on the faster side. Verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 14 in Deuteronomy. The first mitzvah here is about the responsibility of an employer to his employee. Losashok sochir oni ve'ebyin. Don't hold back or, or, or don't oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy. Me'achecha, whether he's one of your brethren, a migercha, or he's a stranger, asher ba'artzecha, living in your land, bisharecha, in your gates. You have to be a good, responsible employer. 14 Rashi, Loisas Sheikh Sochir Bahale Kvar Kosuv. Wasn't this mitzvah already cited earlier? Ella, this verse teaches us an additional mitzvah. Laver al Hoeb Laven. That if the employee that is not treated properly is poor, then there are two negative commandments violated. One is to mistreat an employee. The other is to mistreat a poor employee. Don't oppress or hold back wages from the employee who is poor. You can't hold back wages from someone who's not poor either. Even a rich employee is entitled to be paid. As it says earlier in Leviticus 19, do not oppress your neighbor, any economic level neighbor. If he works for you, you got to pay him. This particular mitzvah deals with evyein, a poor person. Says Rashi, what is the definition of evyein? Hatoib l'choldovar, who needs everything, who longs for everything. Migercha, convert means zeger tzedek, a true convert. Someone who was not a Jew, who became a Jew. Bisharecha, in your gates, Zeger Teshev, that is someone who does not convert, but he wants to live in Israel and remain a non-Jew. He has to accept upon himself the basic Noahide laws, recognize the sovereignty of the Jewish people over Israel, but Ha'echel Nevelus, he can still eat non-kosher food. He doesn't have to keep kosher because he's not Jewish. He just has to maintain the laws of not worshipping idols and the other Noahide laws. Asher that is in your land, this includes paying the rent 
when you rent an animal or you rent any kind of utensil, you have to pay. You can't be dishonest in your business relationship. You take something, you got to pay for it. You hire someone, you got to pay for it. Fifteen, biyomo, on the same day that the commitment was made to pay, titain schore, the salary has to be paid, the pay has to be delivered. The sun cannot set on payday, kionihu, without him getting paid. Why? Because he's poor. The A love, and to this job, who he risks his life. The guy climbs up trees and skyscrapers because he needs to make the money. And if you don't pay him his deserved wages in a timely way, he will cry out to Hashem, and it'll be your sin. Pay him and make sure he does not call out to Hashem against you. 15 Rashi, to this salary, to this pay. He risks his life, risking it literally in life and death situations. He climbs high mountains, he goes up high steep ramps in Iklabilan and he swings on a tree and he does all kinds of stuff to make a buck. It'll be a sin for you, whether he calls out to God against you or not. If somebody does call out, then Hashem reacts quicker to punish the employer who holds back the pay. End of that mitzvah. Next mitzvah, verse 16. Yumsu obeys al bonim. Literally, Rashi says, fathers should not die by the testimony of sons, which means that a son cannot testify against his father. Ovonim layumsu. There are other interpretations as well. Ovonim layumsu al obeys. Nor shall children be put to death for the fathers or by the testimony of the fathers, or in a broader sense, fathers don't die for the sins of their children, children don't die for the sins of their fathers. Ish, bechete yumosu, each man dies for his own sin. Rashi, 16, lo yumsu obes abonim be'edus bonim, by the testimony of the sons. If you say it means the sin, then this was covered, by the other words, ish becheta yumosu, ish becheta yumosu, avomi she'ena ish meis ba'vein oviv. The sons do not die for the fathers if the sons are grown up, if the sons are past bar mitzvah. Ba'aktanim meisim ba'vein aveisim b'deshamayim. But sometimes little children will pass away, and that'll be part of the punishment to their parents. Discussed in Sifri, next mitzvah seventeen. Do not twist, do not pervert the justice of a stranger or an orphan. Nor shall you take a pledge, the garment of a widow, which means you have to be extra sensitive to the rights of the convert, the orphan and the widow. 
17 Rashi Leisata Mishpat Ger Yosem. Viala Osher Kvar Hoser. Are we allowed to pervert the justice of a wealthy man? Of course not. You're not allowed to pervert any justice. Leisata Mishpat. You're not allowed to pervert justice, period. Vishona Ba'oni. But when the fellow is poor, Labarola Bishne Lavin, and somebody perverts that justice, he transgresses twice. Why? It's a lot easier to pervert, to pervert the justice of a poor man than it is to pervert the justice of a rich man. Because the poor man doesn't have defenders. Therefore, he's here. The Torah forewarns once again, don't pervert the justice even of a poor man. Do not take a pledge. At the time of the loan, you can take a pledge. But but later we learned that a person could come to the court and say, listen, the guy still hasn't paid me my loan. I want to go to his house and take a pledge. Don't do that to a widow. 18. You should remember that you were once a slave in Egypt, a servant in Egypt. And God, your God, redeemed you from there. And you know what it felt like. You know what it feels like. Al-Kain, therefore. I am commanding you to do this, to be extra sensitive to those who are oppressed. Mezacharta 18 Rashi, Amanas, Kain, Pedisicha, with this condition. With this in mind, I redeemed you, Lishmer Chukaisai, to keep my statutes. One of my statutes is to go the extra mile for a stranger, an orphan, and a widow. Even if you might lose money, this is the money you're losing for me, says Hashem. The next mitzvah, verse 19, this is an interesting, unique mitzvah. This is a mitzvah that not everyone who wants to can perform this mitzvah because it has to happen to you. What's the mitzvah? When you will reap your harvest in the fields, there'll be a sheaf or a bundle of grain, and you will have forgotten that bundle in the field, which means there has to be an act of forgetfulness here, you took all the bundles in, put them in your truck, brought them to the barn. This is the one bundle you forgot. Don't go back to take it. There's a reason you forgot it. And Hashem would prefer that. Instead of you going back to get it, that this be left for the stranger, the orphan and the widow. Leave that bundle for them. Laman, in order that. What's in it for me, says the farmer? Yivarechecha Hashem alukecha, that God, your God, should bless you. Bechel masa yodecha, in all the work of your hands. Anything you touch will be successful because of this additional act of charity. Rashi, vishachachta oimer, a bundle, a sheaf, velay godish, but not a whole stock. Mikan Omru, from here our rabbi said in the tractate Peah, that a sheaf which contains two saws, a lot, and one forgot it. That's not considered forgetting, because forgetting is one average bundle. This includes the forgetting of 
standing grain, where he forgot to reap a little bit. Being that it says, don't go back and get it, it's only the stuff that's behind you. of the stuff that's ahead of you, is not forgetting, you haven't gotten there yet. It doesn't include going back. So if you're still coming to that part of the field in front of you, you can still keep going. God is going to bless you. Why is He going to bless you? The whole thing was an accident. I forgot. And now the Torah says you can't go back. What's the blessing? Even in a case where you forgot, God will bless you. How much more so that God blesses us when we intentionally, in a premeditated way, give charity. To one does, with intent. And from here we can deduce that if a sela, a coin, falls from one's hand, let's use contemporary terms. Somebody drops a hundred dollar bill. When I was a kid they said a dollar bill, but today we say he drops a hundred dollar bill. And a poor man found it. And he supported himself. He says, oh wow, a hundred dollars. The person who lost it is blessed. Even unintentional tzedakah receives God's blessing. Next mitzvah 20. When you will gather your harvest from your olive trees, don't go over and perfect the harvest, making sure every olive is taken. But leave it for the stranger, the orphan, and the widow. The Gemara in Chulun says, don't remove its beauty, meaning don't make it clean, squeaky clean. Just as we leave a corner of the field for the poor, we leave a corner, so to speak, of the produce on the tree for the poor as well. That's when you forgot to take a little bit. Similar law, 21, when you will harvest kamcha, your vineyard. Don't go back and glean and take every grape. But the little things that were left, leave it for the stranger, the widow, and the orphan. 21, if you find little gleanings, what is a gleaning? It has no arm, it has no trunk, it's not a real... Uh, thing of grapes. It's, it's a couple of grape echod mehem. If it has either the stalk or the arm, it belongs to the owner. It's only if it's little and insignificant. What is the meaning of kotev? Of the shoulder, so to speak. Sprigs one above the other. Those that hang down the trunk of the vine and go down. 22, again, you shall remember, that you were a servant, a slave in the land of Egypt. That is why I am commanding you to do this thing. Chapter 25, verse 1, next halacha. The next halacha talks about the whole idea of lashing. By Torah law, Torah law is not very big on imprisoning people. Because the Torah knew that when somebody violates a, transgre- a law of Hashem, 
whether it's a law involving actions between man and man or a law involving actions between man and God, to put them in prison is very unproductive. Therefore, when the death penalty applies, capital issues, the death penalty is applied. When the death penalty doesn't apply, financial issues, financial remuneration applies. When there is just regular transgression, what is applied is lashes. A maximum of 39 lashes were given. Before the person was lashed, the doctor examined him and said, this person is strong and healthy and can take all 39 lashes. Or the doctor said, this person is not strong and not healthy and can only receive 26 lashes or three lashes. So they have to have a doctor's order to say that person is healthy enough to tolerate it. Once the person takes his punishment, he becomes equal in the eyes of man and God, and he has to be restored to the community. That's the gist over here. If there be a controversy between two men, and they come to judgment, and the judge will judge them, and they will find the righteous one righteous. And they'll find the wicked one wicked. In the end, they're going to come to judgment. From here you can conclude that that good things don't come from fighting. It's always better not to fight. Who caused Lot to separate himself from his righteous uncle Abraham? The fact that their shepherds were fighting. This does not suggest that anyone who loses a court case is lashed. Talmud Leymar, only in certain cases when there is a violation of a negative commandment of Torah and the person was warned and the person was witnessed, the person was seen. There are two kosher witnesses. As he says in verse 2, V'hoya, it shall come to pass. Im bin if the wicked man deserves to be lashed, because that's what the Torah mandates, and witnesses warned him and said, do not do this. If you do, the Torah mandates lashes, and he says, I don't care. And he does it in full sight of the witnesses. The judge will cause him to lie down. He called upon him, and he'll be beaten before him. According to the measure of his wickedness, by number. Rashi, Sometimes lashes applies. Sometimes lashes does not apply. And from those who are beaten, you derive from the context. For example, do not muzzle the ox when he treads the corn because of cruelty to, to animals. Therefore, this is a transgression. If he transgresses a prohibition which cannot be transformed into a command, then one cannot be lashed for this. That, I believe, is the interpretation there. This teaches us that when lashes are applied, they are given when the person is down. Not, lying, not standing and not sitting, but bent over. And behind him, 
two parts. From here we say, that two-thirds of the lashes are given on his back, and one-third on his chest. So the, the three-thirds would be 13, 13, and 13. It doesn't say which would refer to a particular count. But it's hyphenated. About 40. But not 40. It's 40 minus 1, 39, as he says in verse 3, about 40 stripes he shall smite him, not more, perhaps if he'll give him more than that, many, your brother will be dishonored. There's a maximum of 39, and the person has to be able to handle it. From here we learn that under ordinary circumstances, one should never hit his fellow. Up to now, the Torah referred to him all day, called him Rosha, a wicked one. Once he took his punishment, he's again your full-fledged brother. For here is the mitzvah that's juxtaposed here. Do not muzzle the ox, when he's going to work and be treading the produce in the field. This mitzvah talks about an ox, but that's because people usually have oxes plowing. But the same applies if somebody decides to have his dog doing it, or his cat, or his bird. Any animal that engages in labor with food, you can't muzzle his mouth. Why does he say share? To exclude man, that man can be muzzled under certain circumstances, even though yesterday we learned about a person working in the yard, in the vineyard of his fellow, that he can eat. I would think you may muzzle him outside. Uh, I would think you may muzzle him when he's not treading. The answer is you may never muzzle an ox. In that case, why does it say when he's treading? Just as treading is a type of labor in a thing where the process has not yet been completed, it's still a work in process. And it grows from the earth. Similarly speaking, everything... This excludes one who is milking or forming cheese or making milk, beating milk into a pulp, maybe butter. These do not grow from the earth. One who kneads or forms dough, where it's completed. One who separates dates or figs, where they're ready for the tithing process. Next law. This is the law of the Leverite woman. Just to quickly review this law, the Torah says, if God forbid there is a couple who are married and the man dies, <coughs> he leaves his wife childless, she never had a child, and now she's a widow. His oldest brother should perform what is called a Leverite marriage, take her as a wife, and then... The child is named for the 
dead father and he gets the inheritance of the father. This is called the Leverite marriage. What if he or she do not wish to perform this marriage? He says, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. She says, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. Then there is a process, a ritual called chalitza, where they go before the court. There's a whole ritual with a shoe, and she spits on the ground in front of him, and she says, this is what is done to a man who refuses to perform the Leverite marriage for good cause or not for good cause upon his dead brother's wife. And that's the section here. Verse 5, If brothers will dwell together, and one of them dies, and he had no children with his wife. The wife of the dead brother should not be married outside to any stranger. Her husband's brothers, her husband's brother should come to her, should approach her, and take her as a wife, and perform the Leverite marriage upon her. <coughs> this can only apply if the two brothers were living at the same time. This excludes the wife of one's brother, who was not in the world simultaneous with him. For example, just when the brother died, a new brother is born to their mother. So they were not living in this world together. She does not have to wait until this new baby grows up. They are sharing inheritance. This does not apply to a maternal brother. It only applies to a paternal brother. Check it out. A boss, a son, a daughter, a grandson, a grandson, a son's son, a boss, a or the daughter of a son, a ben habas, or the son of a daughter, a bas habas, any descendant. The, there has to be zero children out of this woman. It shall come to pass. Then the older brother, Asher Tele, should perform the Leverite marriage upon this woman who can bear children. As Rashi says, if she can't bear children, all bets are off. Yokum al shem ochiv hames. Then this should be, this person should take the place of his dead brother. So that his name not be blotted out in Israel. Preferably the older brother performs this marriage. If the older brother can't or doesn't want to, the obligation shifts to the next brother and so on. This does not apply to a barren woman who cannot bear children. This is about bearing children. The one who married his deceased brother's wife receives the inheritance of the dead brother. The inheritance of his father. This excludes the wife of an impotent man who died. He was impotent to begin with. So immediately his name was blotted out. The Leverite marriage does not have to be performed on the widow of an impotent man. Seven. What if he doesn't want to take his brother's wife as a wife? Then he goes up to the gates of the city, to the courthouse, and she declares and she says, My husband's brother refuses to establish 
a name for his brother in Israel, he refuses to perform the Leverite marriage upon me. He doesn't want to marry me. To the court of law. Eight, so the elders of the city, the court, sends him a subpoena. And they speak to him. And he shall stand. And he has to declare in front of the court. And he has to say, yes, it's true. I confirm. I don't want to take her as a wife. 19, and she, the brother's wife, approaches him. In full view of the elders of the court. And she removes his shoe. It's a certain type of shoe that was used in the court. So he actually had to put on the shoe first. May Auragli off his foot, the Yorka before him, and then she spits on the ground before him. The Onsa, and she responds, the Omro, and she says, and this is the mantra that she says, Kocha Yeose Loish, so shall be done to a man, or to the man, Asher Leivnes Beis Ochiv, who refuses to build his brother's house. Rashi Yorka before don't think she spits in his face, but Algabi Karka, she spits on the ground before him. This teaches us that one who performs this ritual of chalitza should not go again, may not go and marry her then. Who will not. Once he elects not to, then he can no longer do so. And his name is called in Israel, the house of he that had his shoe loosened, that's the title that this fellow who refuses to perform the Leverite marriage receives. It's a mitzvah. It's mandatory for all those who stand there, Lamar to say, they chant in unison, he's the guy who takes off, loosens the shoe. Next law, and this is a law of modesty and immodesty. If two men will be having a dispute, one with another, two friends are fighting. Suddenly, the wife of one of them approaches to save his Isha, her husband, from the one who is fighting with him. And she plays dirty. She extends her hand and she grabs of his private parts. Something inappropriate. Not modest. When people fight, in the end, they're going to be hitting each other. That fighting never leads to peace. So what happened is that she should have stayed away from it. At best, she, could have, she should have called 911. A woman doesn't get involved into a fight between two men. Not only did she get involved, but she grabbed him by the privates. So the Torah says, Vikatsosa Eskapo, she has to pay a fine. That's the interpretation. Literally, the words are translated, you shall cut off her hand, but God forbid that's not actually what happens. That only happens in Saudi Arabia. Lesocha do not have compassion. Rashi explains what this means. Vikatsay says, Kappa, you cut off her hand. God forbid. It means that she has to pay a fine equivalent to the shame and disgrace she put him through. 
How much? It depends who he is, and it depends who she is. It depends what their relationship is. It depends what their status is. It depends on the insulter and the insulted. You may argue and say, wait a minute, it says here you should cut off her hand. Maybe it means to cut off her hand. God forbid. Because it says here, do not pity. And it says later, with witnesses who are proven to be lying, false witnesses, perjury. Do not have pity. Just as over there, it refers to money. Afkan moment, so also here it refers to money. So even though it says to cut off her hand, it's one of those many places in the Torah where it, that kind of expression refers to a financial fine. A sister expression would be an eye for an eye, and so on. Next subject, this is now the department of weights and measures. There can't be a productive society if there is dishonest weights and measures. So the Torah tells us, You shall not have in your attache case, in your satchel, one stone and then another stone. A bigger one and a smaller one. Why would you want to have one stone and one stone? Maybe one for buying and one for selling. Maybe one for friends and one for enemies. A large weight that contradicts the smaller one. You shouldn't buy with the large and sell with the small. The Torah says, if you do that, in the end, you'll have nothing. That's why it begins with, you won't have. Similar law 14, you shall not have in your house. Different measures. And there are liquid measures, dry measures, stuff you pour, various forms of measure. What should you have? 15. A perfect and complete stone you shall have. A perfect and just measure, Yelach. Laman, in order that Yarichu Yomecha, your days belong, Allah Adam upon the land, Asher Hashem Lekach Nesunach, which God your God gives you. Evan Shleim of Atzadik Yelach 15 and Masisakain. If you did so, if you're honest in business, Yelach Harbe, you'll have a lot. Key because Tayavas Hashem Lekach Koleseela. Anybody who acts this way and has two sets of weights, this is called an abomination of Hashem. It's abominable. abominable to God, chel, say oval, anyone who deals unrighteously. Even today, and especially today, you have literally a department of weights and measures that go from supermarket to supermarket, from grocery to grocery, and they inspect the scales and they make sure that they're honest. Otherwise, you can't be in business. We now segue into the closing portion, verse 17. Zocher. This is a famous portion one of the six remembrances, which we talked about in yesterday's shir. Zocher, you must always remember, verbally, that which Amalek did to you, on the road, when you came forth from Egypt. Rashi, Zocher, says Rashi, from the oral law, from the Medrash, im shokarta if you dealt falsely in weights and measures, 
have a dayig migiru yo'ayiv. Then perhaps an amolek, perhaps an enemy, will come upon you. Shenamar as it says, ma'ayiz ne'imirma ta'avas Hashem. False balances is an abomination of Hashem. Oksiv basrei, ba'zodain, the pride comes, va'yobekolon, and shame comes. So that as a punishment for cheating in business and having dual weights and measures, war and strife comes upon Israel. Just to share a teaching of the Rebbe, which I often share around this portion. The Rebbe asks a question. Rashi says, we just learned, that as a punishment for cheating in weights and measures, the enemy comes upon the Jewish people. Isn't that a bit harsh? It's a little bit overdone. Yes, one should not cheat in weights and measures, but it doesn't mean that uh, the Amalekites have to come and destroy the Jewish people. So to cut to the chase, the Rebbe explains in a lengthy talk that in Hasidic teachings, what is Amalek? Amalek refers to the apathy that a Jew approaches Judaism with. The Amalek, Asher Korcha Baderech, it says in the beginning of 18, is that he encountered you, he met you on the way. Amalek says nothing is divine providence. Everything is happenstance. Everything is a coincidence. The word Korcha also means cold. He chills your excitement for Judaism. You're getting excited about Judaism, excited about prayer, excited about Torah, excited about tzedakah. Amalek says chill, cool, it's okay and takes away the flame of Judaism. Says the Rebbe, what causes that? Dishonesty and weights and measures. What's dishonesty and weights and measures? So the Rebbe explains that when parents raise children, they have to have honest weights and measures. They have to teach their children that there is a balance between the world and Torah values, and that Torah and mitzvahs and Judaism is as important as a secular lifestyle. Because if we don't do that, then the children will grow up and they'll conclude that Judaism is not that important. For example, said the Rebbe, if children go to a day school and the child gets an A in science or an A in mathematics or an A in one of his secular studies, or he gets an all-A report card. The parents make a big deal of it. They give him a special reward. They take him for a special trip. And then if he gets all olives in the study of Mishnah or Talmud or Chumash, say, okay, it's not a big deal. The child gets a message that Torah is not as important as secular studies. Another example that Rabbi gives in this talk. That if the child sees the parents spending money on this or that or the other, and this is important. And when it comes to charity, they limit the expense. When it comes to Judaism, they limit the expense. But when it comes to having a good time, they maximize the expense. So the child says, in that case, Judaism is not important, and other things are important. So that the weights and measures are off balance. So the Rebbe says what Rashi is telling us symbolically here is keep the balance correct in your weights and measures. Make sure that your children know that Torah, mitzvahs, Judaism, tzedakah, Yiddishkeit is as important, if not more, than all of the 
non-Jewish or secular values, and that is the teaching, the inner teaching of Rashi. Continued on now with 18, Asher Korcha Baderech. Remember what Amalek did to you, how he met you on the road. And he cut off those who were at the ends, the extremities, the, the weak ones. When you were tired and weary, and he didn't fear God. Rashi. 18. By chance, pollution, impurity. Rashi brings down from the oral law that Amolek introduced homosexuality to the Jewish people and caused them to become impure with this defilement. Another interpretation, hot and cold. He chilled you, he cooled you. And made you look warm. From your boiling point where you were so excited about Judaism. Or, in the case that Rashi explains, that the Jewish people came out of Egypt, they had established a reputation where no nation would approach them because the nations were fearful of them. All nations feared to engage you in battle. And this country came, this nation came. And began and opened the door and showed the way to others. Marshall, this can be compared to a parable. Le'ambatje, to a boiling hot bath. Reseches, it's boiling. Any person who tries to go in, they put their toe in it and they burn their toe, they walk out. Kofatz ben bliel echad. One crazy guy came. Kofatz v'yoradaseicha, jumped in and went into it. Did he burn himself? Of course he burned himself. Even though he burned himself, but it no longer became untouchable, and others began to go into it as well. He chilled this bath. So also the Jewish people were, they, they had developed a reputation of being untouchable. They had zero vulnerability. Everybody was afraid of them. Sort of in our day, we had this experience In 1967, right after the Six-Day War, everybody was terrified of Israel. Everybody respected Israel. Everybody loved Israel. Slowly, slowly, the enemies of Israel began to show that you can attack Israel. It's not the end of the world to the point where today we've had some pretty serious experiences with wars. Smiting of the extremities. He would cut off the male membranes. And would throw them up to heaven, mocking circumcision. The Jewish people were weak in those camps of the extremities because their sin, and why were they at the extreme of the camps? Because those who sinned were placed outside the pillar of cloud which protected them. Faint from thirst. The people thirsted there for water. And then it says, Amalek came. From the travel. Amalek didn't fear God. So the closing verse of today's portion says, And it shall come to pass, therefore. As soon as God gives you rest from all of your enemies around you, it's in the land. 
Asher Hashem Elokech Hanesim Lachal, which God your God will give to you, Nachal is an inheritance, Lerishta, to possess. First order of business is Timcha, blot out, erase, as Zecher, any remembrance of Amolek, Mitachas Hashemayim, from under the heavens, Lei Tishkach, do not forget to eradicate this cruel enemy of the Jewish people. In fact, this came about when King Saul became king and he was commanded to fulfill this mitzvah. And of course, he did not fulfill it in its entirety, which is why he lost his mandate to rule, as is described at great length in the Tanakh. Timcha zechar amalek rashi me'isha adisha, whether it's male or female, me'elul adyenik, infants or suckling, me'esher atzeh, oxen or sheep, amalek had to be totally destroyed. Shalayahim shem amalek niska, that the name of amalek should never even mentioned. Afil al behema, even in connection to an animal, lemar to say behema zu, that this animal, mishal amalek hoisa, once belonged to a nation called amalek. This was the mitzvah to totally eradicate and totally destroy this cruel nation of Amalek. End of portion.